Hello, uh, my name is Lorenzo Van Ness, and I will be having a conversation with Marty Hernandez Avedon uh, for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. Uh, this is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. Um, it is April 1st, 2017, and this is being uh, recorded at uh, my house, at Lorenzo's house. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Marty, um, can you tell me? Uh, well, yeah. What are? You, can you just say your name and your pronoun? Uh, my name's Marty, and my pronouns are he and they. Okay, perfect. Um, and uh, can you just share with us a little bit of information about yourself? Okay. Um, so, my I was raised in foster care until I was ten. Um, I. Uh, Avedon is my original last name, actually. I changed it back when I did my whole name change stuff. And that was very important to me. Because it, it was actually even more upsetting to be called by that last name than be called by a first name that I never really thought of as male or female. It was just my, my first name. Um, so that was a high priority for me because I didn't have the best experience in the foster care system. Um, so... My dad was Puerto Rican, my mom was Jewish, but I was adopted by this Italian-American family that was very proud of being Italian-American, which is great, but um, not so great when you're not Italian and, <laughs> and you're being raised by people who think it's just the greatest thing ever to be Italian. Um, so there was some friction there, and sometimes it got really nasty. Um, when I was 20, I was kicked out. Not because I was, well, it's kind of hard to tell whether it was because I was, like, quote-unquote, gender non-conforming or not, because I'm sure some of that colored what I experienced. But, like, like the immediate cause of it was I got into a fight with um, one of my older siblings, and she had been very uh, physically abusive for the past, for the previous 10 years leading up to that. So I got into a fight with her and the police were called and I wanted to press charges against her because I was sick and tired of this sort of thing happening all the time. And I was kicked out because I was told if you try to press charges against her, you can't live here. So I was like, okay, that sounds like a great deal because I don't want to be experiencing that kind of violence anymore. Um, and thankfully I have a backup. I went to live with my biological family at that point. And I, uh, kind of cut off contact with my adopted family because they're, they tried to get in touch with me, but they didn't want to admit that anything wrong had been done, and I just couldn't deal with that anymore. So, not the happiest period in my life. So, after that, I, you know, I'd been in touch for a little bit with my biological family before that point. And they let me live with them for a couple of years. And then I was living with friends for a couple of years. Then I was living and having to take care of my dad for a couple of years. And then he passed away. And I was back on Staten Island. And uh, I guess I moved around a lot. So I was back on Staten Island. Then I was living with my uh, partner in Queens for a couple of years. They moved to Japan. Um, I had... The housing situation kind of turned upside down for a while. And now I'm back on 
uh, you know, just figuring things out, <laughs> basically. Um, so that, that's kind of an overview, I guess. Well, um, what was it like to, like, be in, like, foster care? Like, going back mm -hmm. to the beginning, like, oh, what was okay. it like to... Um, yeah, I mean, when I was really little, I thought it was kind of cool, actually, because it wasn't presented to me as anything negative, and mm. nobody told me it was anything negative. Um, I had visits with my, uh, my mom and dad sometimes, and they would take me to the arcade or the zoo, and it was a lot of fun, but it was also a little bit weird, because my adopted family didn't really like them very much, mm. so they would say mean things about them, and... Like, I was a little kid, and sometimes I would repeat it back to them because I was a little kid and kind of dumb. Um, I feel really bad about that now, but, um, you know, like, having these adults that would take me out on the weekends to all these cool places, and I would get me pizza and play video games, you know, that was a lot of fun. Um, so that wasn't too bad when I was really little. But as I got older, um, I had some siblings in the adopted family who, I guess they were kind of jealous of all the attention that the littler kids were receiving mm -hmm. or and they also had like their own issues against me in particular for being like gender weird I guess as a little kid um, and just kind of weird in general like I didn't uh, I I had a hard time learning social skills I guess is a, a way to put it like I, I didn't really understand how to talk to people and things like that um, so that was, like, considered me being weird or slash crazy, and I would get in trouble for that sometimes. Um, and I also was kind of what they would call tomboyish, but I just thought of it as, like, you know, being myself. I wasn't the kind of kid that was very athletic or, like, getting into fights or other stereotypes people have about tomboys. Um, you know, I was just a kid who didn't like wearing dresses or makeup or being them or things like that. Um, and I guess the only way they, they could understand that is me being a tomboy. Um, so as I uh, got older from like 7 or 8 where it was more acceptable to like 11 or 12 where when it was a lot less acceptable and it was sort of expected of me to be wearing makeup and things like that uh, and getting interested in boys. But I guess I was getting interested in the wrong way. <laughs> um, you know, I started like hearing words like dyke and other words a lot like being told that I was crazy or like a slut or a whore things like that <laughs> um so that that part wasn't so great was that by um like other people in school or was that by your really, foster family or... um the kids in school didn't really care so much about that um I mean they, they also thought it was weird but I didn't really get bullied as much or as badly as by adults mm -hmm. in my adopted family who you would think would know better, but, you know, sometimes people are just bigoted. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then, like, going back to the whole Italian thing, they were also kind of racist, because mm -hmm. basically all the, the kids that they were taking were, like, white-skinned Puerto Rican uh, assigned female at birth kids, mm -hmm. which is, like, looking back on it is really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they were taking in all these Puerto Rican kids and teaching them, oh, being Italian is great and we're, like, rescuing you from your birth family because they're really bad and all these stereotypes about uh, Latinos and things like that. Um, and it was definitely something I've had to work through. 
I think it's still about to work through. It's, you know, there wasn't really anything in my life countering that mm-hmm. for a long time. I didn't know any Latinos. And, like, I, the only Latino people I ever really saw was, like, John Leguizamo in the Super Mario Brothers movie and, like, uh, Gomez Adams, you know, the guy who played him. I thought he was great, but, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of representation. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. So... <laughs> Yeah, um, so sometimes they would get nasty in a racist way, too, towards me, mm-hmm. and my little sister especially, because I guess they thought I didn't, uh, she looked more Latino than me or something, like, that was how they thought of it, and they didn't see me as Latino, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, that it was pretty fucked up, and... I, I guess I'm still working through, like, feeling like I'm not Latino enough or, um, you know, like, all that stuff that happens. Yeah. Um, how many um, siblings did you have in that family? Uh, I had one little sister, and she was only one year apart from me. And then I had um, three older siblings who were teenagers when I was growing up, and two other older siblings who were uh, much older than me. 40s. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was kind of a big family. Mm-hmm. And uh, previous to taking in me and my little sister, they had also taken a lot of other foster kids. So um, were you pretty steadily with this one family after you were 10? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I was legally adopted when I was 10, and I was given their last name. And I, I didn't really understand what was going on at the time or the ramifications of it. Um, but it's kind of come back to haunt me because after I got kicked out and I was trying to go to college and apply for financial aid, started running into a lot of problems because, you know, um, I needed to get my adopted family signature when I wasn't talking to them anymore. Mm. And like for a long time before my adopted uh, mother passed away, I was uh, really upset and nervous about what would ever happen to me because she was technically my next of kid and um, so for a long time I wanted to get my last name changed at least because that would be sort of a symbolic break. And then when I realized, you know, that I was trans and I could actually transition, um, you know, I, I put in double effort to get my name changed, um, just so that my name would sort of match with my, uh, uh, like gendered appearance or whatever. Mm-hmm. I could think of my name however I wanted, but the rest of the world might not take a female sounding name with a male-looking person very well. Um, so you grew up on Staten Island mostly, yeah. until you were about 20, you said. Yeah. Um, what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It, um, I mean, a lot of the, the racist stuff and the gender stuff I was talking about with my adopted family was kind of just reflected back in the entire community around me. Um, I experienced a lot of street harassment growing up, and people just... Just, like, random strangers. Like I said, I didn't really get bullied that much or as badly at school, but just, like, random strangers sometimes would hassle me in high school. wouldn't be so great either. Um, Because I went to a really big high school, and not everybody knew me. They just saw me as, like, this weird uh, gender nonconforming girl. Um, So, you know, people in high school aren't always the nicest about that kind of thing. Um, 
and even as an adult, sometimes I would experience a lot of street harassment. And to be honest, it didn't really end until I moved off to Staten Island. Uh, part one and part two started on hormones. And after that, a lot of the street harassment died down. Though. Sometimes I still get people bothering me. What, is, um, what does that look like, the street harassment? When, when you say that people are doing that to you, what does that mean? Um, just like, sometimes people just yelling sexual comments at me, mm -hmm. or just like yelling curses at me, or, um, you know, things like that. Has, um, has Staten Island changed over the, over time, or has New York changed over time mm -hmm. since you've been living here your whole life? <laughs> yeah, um, well, I, <clears throat> I've recently been spending a lot of time on Staten Island because uh, I'm dating a person who lives on Staten Island, and it's still pretty scary. <laughs> mm. Um... I started dating them a little before the election, uh -huh. and, um, you know, like, riding on the ferry, I, um, for a while I would, almost without fail, hear people making comments about Jews, or black people, or Puerto Ricans, or Mexicans, or whatever, um, you know, uh, um, group that they had decided was the enemy. Um, so that um, made me really uncomfortable, obviously, but... More recently, I haven't been hearing as much. I, I think maybe people's emotions were heightened during and uh, immediately after the election. But, you know, I still hear a lot of comments, not necessarily directed at me, but, you know, you hear people talking about that kind of stuff in public, like it's an acceptable way to behave, and it does kind of make you anxious. Sure. Um, what, um... What was your um, bio family like? Uh, I know you said you yeah. lived with your <laughs> father for a little bit or took care of him. Yeah. Um, well, you're not perfect, but you're a lot better than my adopted family. Um, I, um, where, where's my my adopted family is very proud of being Italian. My, uh, my dad was very proud of being Puerto Rican. He tried to educate me on all sorts of things. And at first, sometimes he would tell me things that sounded crazy to me, like, oh, like, you know, Gandhi was actually a very evil person because he was very racist. Like, how can you say that about Gandhi? I don't, you know, like, yeah. Gandhi is, like, the sweetest guy, and then I started looking into it, and it's like, oh, I, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, he taught me a lot, though I think other people kind of looked at him as, like, crazy old guy who's just always running his mouth about mm. things. Because mm -hmm. um, he, he could really uh, talk for a long time once he got going. <laughs> <laughs> would, was he just like full of all these random facts? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he actually used to collect newspaper clippings, and mm -hmm. yeah, he, he could be a, a little bit weird. <laughs> um, he, he would collect used books to the point where it just like filled the entire apartment. Oh, little on the yeah. border of like hoarding. <laughs> not not even on the border. <laughs> it's like right on. There. Yeah. So okay. so he was a little bit of a hoarder, and um, he, he did have some issues, but he was also a really smart guy, and mm -hmm. he he wasn't just running his mouth about nonsense. He yeah. knew what he was talking about. Uh, did you ever meet your bio mom? Yeah. Um, things are, I guess, more complicated between me and her because. Uh, well, I, I guess the thing is that she she never wants to say anything negative 
to my face, so sometimes she'll just make things up, and it, it's kind of upsetting. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I love her, and I wish our relationship was better. What about um, your friends when you were younger and mm -hmm. now and before? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, tell me about your friends. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, well, like I mentioned before, I was kind of socially weird as a kid, and um, I was also socially weird as an adult, and I still <laughs> am. <laughs> um, I've been working on that a lot, uh, and trying really hard. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of friendships when I was little. I had, like, this one friend that I would sort of latch on to, um, and... Sometimes I would get kind of annoying, I guess, to the other person, but I didn't really understand how not to be clingy, because mm -hmm. I was, uh, like, like, when I was a really little kid, I would be perfectly happy just sitting in a corner reading or drawing and not interacting with people at all. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of teach myself, oh, people should be talked to and interacted with sometimes, you know? Um, and then I didn't really know how, so I went about it really awkwardly. And that kind of made my teen years look difficult because how, if you can't make friends, you can't even date. And there are other reasons why I was really uncomfortable with romance, obviously, but, um, or maybe not obviously, maybe other trans people didn't have that experience, but, um, yeah, um, I, I guess I didn't really start getting the hang of the whole interacting with other human beings thing until I was like a junior or senior in high school. Um, and then after I graduated, I got a computer and it became a whole lot easier to talk to people because I could just type and I wouldn't have to worry about me stuttering or like not be able to think of what I should be saying or like figuring out when somebody stopped talking, I should start talking and all that. So people like to say the internet is very bad socializing makes people more stunted in their socialization, but I think it actually helped me a lot because it took away that element of uh, uh, difficulty speaking. I've always kind of had a lot of difficulty speaking to people and having like a give and take kind of thing. And that's kind of been a huge problem with me when I've been trying to learn other languages like Spanish because it's hard for me to listen and then formulate what I'm going to say and then listen again, it's like, my brain just doesn't do that kind of thing very well, even in English. So, yeah. Um, let's see. In terms of uh, your identity, what, what is your relationship with um, other, like, trans and gender conforming people? Uh, I, in general. Yeah, I, I guess I'd say it's pretty good. Um, for a long time, I just had this general sense of not fitting in and not really being able to articulate wait, why. And I like, try to find reasons growing up, and sometimes they would be really silly reasons, like, oh, I like this hobby or that hobby. And, you know, it, um, and I, I guess a lot of people go through that stages of figuring themselves out. Um, and I, um, in middle school, I started thinking to myself that I couldn't really fit in with boys or girls, because I started noticing, you know, everybody's starting to get their hormones raging and things like that, and it just felt like there wasn't any place for me anymore, because I used to hang out with, you know, like, 
like boys and girls who had similar interests as me and it was okay but after 12 or 13 it started changing and I felt like I didn't really have a place anymore and I felt like that for a while until I started meeting other trans people and I started thinking to myself oh maybe maybe this is where my place is and other people have also experienced what I've gone through and um, maybe things are making a little more sense for me. Um, so I, I came out uh, relatively late, and age 27, but before that I was sort of experimenting and wearing the binder for a couple of years, and, well not a couple of years, maybe a couple of months, but uh, like cutting my hair short and sort of experimenting with my appearance and things like that. Um, and I started uh, making a lot of friends in the trans community and um, once I uh, started uh, like medical trans medically transitioning, legally transitioning and all of that, I started feeling a lot more comfortable, a lot more easy around people. Um, for a long, there was a long period of time when I wasn't uh, dating anybody like between 19 and 27 or 28 basically um, because I just didn't feel comfortable enough around people but uh, since then it's gotten a lot easier um, and most of my partners have been other trans people um, partly because that's who I've been hanging out with and meeting and partly because we have some common experiences that we can talk about that are a little more difficult to talk about with people who haven't gone through that. Do you feel like um, you're, you're more visible now um, because of your identities or? I guess it's easier for me to come out and be visible with my identities. Um, I, I, I guess I'm in a pretty privileged place because I, uh, like, like cis people see me as a guy and um, don't expect me to come out and say that I'm trans. So, um, when it's like that, it's a little bit easier and you get less hostility. Um, so I feel more comfortable being out as trans, um, than I did when I was younger and people would be very hostile to me just based on my appearance and, uh, not fitting into their expectations of boy or girl or what have you. Um, What does, um, how do you understand gender right now? Or what, what does gender mean to you? Uh, <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, um, I sometimes describe myself as, like, vacillating between being a guy and being non-binary or, like, having a neutral gender. Or, I, I'm not sure if it, that's really true so much as, like, uh, like, being a guy is the closest thing in terms of the binary system that I can articulate my gender as, and sometimes it doesn't feel as good to be calling myself that as at other times. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess my self-concept has always, and what I tell other people has always been sort of a compromise between how I feel inside and how people are going to take it. Um, so it, it always... It's not just about how I feel, it's also about how other people feel about it. 
So it always just kind of, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could blow it off and be like, you know, I don't care. But I do have to care in terms of personal safety and things like that. Um, I, I can't really give you an abstract, like, super sociological definition of what I think gender means. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that I haven't thought about it a lot. It's just, it, it just kind of feels like it's something that's really up in the air and it affects my life, but it's also kind of over my head. It'd be talking about abstract geometry or something. Mm -hmm. Well, what are some um, memories that you have of like, you know, being like a teenager or uh, being in college or mm -hmm. what, what are some things that happen around those times? Um, a lot of things. Or what, what do you most remember? Yeah. Um, um, I, I was alone a lot as a teenager. My little sister had started running away from home, and mm. I, was, I was trying to be protective towards her, but I couldn't really do all that much as a kid myself. Um, so that kind of colored my whole teen years. Um, I was kind of an artistic kid. I liked drawing and making comics and things like that. Um, I spent a lot of time recording music off of the radio onto cassette tapes <laughs> um, and playing uh, Sonic the Hedgehog on my Sega Nomad. <laughs> um, Plucky e boy games, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't really start dating until my senior year of high school. And that, that was some guy I met in my math class who was being kind of pushy, but at that point I just wanted to try things out because I felt like, you know, I was 17 and I should be having interest or romantic interest or things like that. So we messed around for a bit and I told him right off the bat, you know, I prefer it if you treated me like a guy friend or just like a guy. And I guess that should have signaled to me at least <laughs> that, yeah, um, you know, something is up. But it didn't really signal anything to me at the time, and didn't signal anything to him at the time, either. Um, he actually tried to push me to wear makeup more often and be more girly, and I wound up dumping him over that. <laughs> Good. <Yeah. laughs> um, what were some things you remember about like college, or what what colleges mm -hmm. did you go? What colleges oh. did you go to? Oh God, yeah, I I somehow wound up in college straight out of high school, and I was really by the skin of my teeth because I wasn't a good student in high school and I was absent a lot. I had a lot of mental health issues due to what was going on in my uh, home life. Um, but I, I had won an essay contest at my senior year of high school and I got a bunch of money from that. And I went to CUNY and financial aid was paying for everything. So I actually got off to a really good start. I was studying biology. I, I really liked it, but, um, I always had this artistic side, and I felt like it wasn't really getting expressed anymore. And then when I was 20, I got kicked out. Um, I couldn't really pay for college anymore because I had trouble with financial aid. Um, so I started taking classes one at a time. And, um, you know, a bunch of things happened in my life that forced me to switch from bio being a bio major to being a graphic design major. So, um, so uh, I, I was studying biology for like five or six years, and then 
I switched over to graphic design, um, not immediately, but like, in, in 2008, basically. And I, I was really successful at it in class, at least, and um, I graduated, I had a good GPA, and started looking for jobs. I couldn't really find anything that would pay me. And I'm sorry, not really mentioning anything about, like, no, no. the partying aspects of college or, like, all my friends and, you know, all the guys that I was dating or all the girls I was dating or non-binary people. Um, but that, that really wasn't at the forefront of my life at that point. Um, I was mostly focused on academics and um, after a certain point also on, like, going to a lot of protests and being more politically involved because that was during the Bush years and there was a lot to be angry about. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I guess I didn't really get to have more of a, like, fun and, uh, carefree college experience until I went to Hunter, uh, in my mid to late 20s. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had a little more, uh, more of that stereotypical sort of fun college experience there, but I did wind up leaving because I was transitioning and the school was a little bit hostile. Um, I applied for a name change. They decided that they didn't recognize the name change, even though the state of New York was okay with it. <laughs> um, so things got weird, and I wound up uh, writing for websites <laughs> to mm -hmm. make money. Um, I was doing that for a while, and then started study studying coding because I still want to do uh, like be a commercial artist, basically, and I that wasn't. Writing wasn't really scratching that itch. It also wasn't making a lot of money, whereas if you're a coder, you can make a lot more. Mm. What, um, I know you mentioned uh, you were political in, in school mm -hmm. because during the Bush years. Yeah. What, what were you doing, or what were the protests? Or Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, my adopted family was very conservative, so I couldn't really do much while I was living with them because um, of all the violence and threats and things like that. It, it wasn't safe for me at all, but um, my um, my mom and dad were actually politically involved when they were younger. My dad had uh, been to like, meetings for the young lords and things like that, and my mom was also very uh, politically involved. Um, um, she had been collecting signatures for the Green Party the first time that I met her as an adult, actually. <laughs> um, so they, they were, it, it was a lot safer, safer for me to be politically involved. And I, um, you know, I started, the first protest I went to was actually with my mom and um, it was at an abortion clinic that um, was being threatened by Christians. Um, so that, that was kind of cool. Um, um, yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot of bullshit going on. There's still a lot of bullshit going on. I'm not going to say that it never ended or that, or even that it started with Bush, but, um, I, you know, I went to marches on Washington with my family members and with friends of the family. Um, I did food not bombs for a while. Um, I, I started getting more involved in LGBT activism as I started feeling more comfortable being myself, but some of the people that I was hanging out with, even though they were liberals or, uh, like, leftists, they weren't always very approving of that, and they would tell me, oh, you're just interested in identity politics, and it's like, 
well, I don't want my, I want to have rights. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if that upsets you. Yeah. Um, or, or you think that I'm only in it for myself, but I'm also going to your protest, so why aren't you coming to mine? Yeah. Um, but um, I, I was involved with community health action, like handing out safer sex packets and things like that. Um, I, I guess I didn't really get involved in trans politics more until I started meeting trans people and realizing, oh, this this is like a big issue because, you know, it, it wasn't really being talked about in the 2000s so much. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, didn't really have that much awareness until I started meeting people who were more involved in that kind of thing. Um, what would you, who would you say is um, someone who's like really impacted you in your life? Um, I, I guess the obvious answer is my dad. <laughs> um, I've already talked a little bit about him. Um, growing up, I, I guess I looked up to uh, a lot of nerdy guys, basically, or just, like, guys that were sort of ethnically coded as similar to me, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's just so hard to talk about race or ethnic stuff when you're really little because you don't really understand what's going on but you still have a sense of it. Um, I, I was really into biology and um, I like in, in terms of writers who were big influence on me I would have to say Stephen Jay Gould. Um, uh, because he would talk about biology but he was also pretty left-wing and he would also talk about race and other things like that that I didn't really get to talk about with the people around me because it is too violent and not safe for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember reading The Misfeasure of Man when I was a teenager and that had a huge impact on me because it made me realize, oh, all this historical bullshit was going on that nobody ever taught me about. Um, so he was definitely a big influence on me in terms of people I didn't necessarily know. But um, What is um, the historical bullshit that was happening? Curious. <laughs> um, he, he was just talking about um, scientific racism and human zoos and mm -hmm. other uh, like fuckery that was going on in biology in the you know, 1800s and uh, early 20th century. Uh, um, who, who are people that you're close to now? Close to now. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I have two partners, mm -hmm. and very close to both of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so much close to my biological family, but um, I'm also an adult and not as dependent on them as I used to. Um, yeah, um, my partner Margaret, I met at this uh, coding fellowship that I've been part of for the past couple. Of months, and um, she's really cool, um, she's nice and good and sweet. <laughs> um, my partner, Melissa, I met previous uh, to joining the coding camp. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I met her a year, like two years ago, I think, actually, at a Fulton party. Um, <laughs> well, we just out. Uh, I, I think I was actually dressed as a, like a video game character <laughs> um, from Undertale. Mm -hmm. um, and she's also really cool and sweet and kind and 
Yeah. <laughs> um, have you been uh, inspired by anything in particular, like a historical or social movement or whatever, or mm -hmm. anything that's really like had an impact on your life, you would say? Huh. Um, this might sound a little bit silly, but... Um, I, I guess a major turning point in my life was actually when Richard Avedon died. Um, because my, my adopted mom was really fucked up. And the day that he died, she told me, oh, your uncle died today. Like, I didn't even know I had an uncle. And she showed me the newspaper with like the headline, Richard Avedon died. He's like a famous photographer. And it's like, what the fuck? I don't even know who this guy is. What are you talking about? And I started learning about him. He, he'd been like, you know, just like this working class guy. He served in the army during World War II, and he's just like a nobody for a long time. But then he, when he was 21, he became really famous as a photographer. He was a very influential artist, and he's just like some random guy from the Bronx before that. And it was really inspiring to me because, you know, he's like this guy who came from nothing. And, uh, we had the same last name, and, you know, he became really successful and important. And it started making me think differently about my family background, you know. It, it's never been clear to me how we're related or if we're related. Um, so it made me think a lot differently because all my life I've been told that my family was trash and garbage. And I should feel lucky that somebody else's family took me in because my own background is so bad, and I should just feel lucky. Um, so that is definitely a big inspiration, um, even though I still don't know. Yeah. Did you ask your uh, father about that, or your father family? Um, well, I, I guess I should go a little bit into my last name. <laughs> oh, sure. Cool. Yeah, um, my, my last name, Abaddon, is actually my mom's last name, because when I was born, my mom and my dad weren't married. Um, and then when I got the name change done, I um, it was partly funded by money that I had gotten from my dad passing away. And I wanted to honor him in some way, and I knew it was like the Spanish way to have, you know, your dad's name and your mom's name. So I went with Marty Hernandez Avedon. And I guess that's kind of confusing the people because they expect that Avedon to be my dad's name. Mm. But it's not. Um, it's... My, from my mom's side, and um, my grandfather had actually changed his last name to Avedon as well to match his mother. So it's kind of a family trained uh, tradition, I guess. <laughs> cool. Um, let's see. Are there anything? Are there any other things that you would want us to know? Like, what are some things that you need to know to know who Marty is? Um. I, I guess, I, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot as I've been going through the coding camp. Um, it's called access code, and specifically for underrepresented groups in tech. Um, uh, the stats are really crazy for uh, programming. It's something like 6% of programmers are uh, African-American, 7% uh, are Latino, 25% um, are women. It, it's really not... Uh, the most diverse or most friendly place. So I've just been thinking about it as I've been going through the program, how many kids who've been raised in foster care, 
you know, are in the position that I'm in now, like, been lucky enough, how many trans people have, you know, um, so I, I guess I would want to say that it's just, like, you know, you can have a really rough start in life and have lots of fucked up things happen to you, and, you know, um, you can still hang on. I'm not going to say it's going to get better, necessarily. You, a lot of work has to happen, a lot of work is involved, but you shouldn't necessarily feel trapped by your circumstances. You can get... I'm not really past them. I mean, I feel like everything is built up to make me the person I am now, but it, it's not necessarily a dead end. It's, like, for a lot of... For a long time, I felt... Uh, really down on myself, and, um, you know, I wake up every day, and I'm just, I have this constant thought of wanting to die, and things like that, um, and I'm not necessarily think, saying that things are perfect now, but it's getting better, um, so, um, yeah, I, I, when I was little, I never imagined that I would be where I am now, I, I, I guess that, Kind of sounds like a cliche, but I, re I really didn't. I thought I'd just be trapped in other people's expectations for me. I would always have to be what my adopted family wanted me to be, uh, regardless of how I felt or what my background was or what choices I wanted to make for myself. Um, and being kicked out was almost, I mean, it was awful and it was very traumatic and made me feel really bad at the time, because I just felt totally rejected, and, like, nobody had my back, but in a way, it was also kind of a gift, because I could make a break with them and feel okay about it, um, because it was in reaction to what had happened. Um, I'm sorry I'm rambling. <laughs> oh, no, that's perfect. It's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I, I mean, being a, being able to start over at 20 and be in touch with my biological family and eventually be in a place where I could uh, start to transition even though I was in my 20s, uh, we're all really lucky and good, positive things. That's cool. Do you feel um, like you've had to ever uh, choose between like expressing your gender identity and like economic mm -hmm. or social like safety mm -hmm. or you know something like that? Yeah, for a long time, I I just felt like I couldn't transition because I didn't I didn't know anybody. Um, I I just thought it was like this thing that people who are a lot greater than me or a lot cooler than me did or. People were in different circumstances, and I just couldn't picture myself doing it, regardless of how I felt. Or, like, like maybe being trans was only for people who felt more masculine than me, or things like that. You know, just kind of silly things like that. Um, uh, in, in terms of personal safety, I think my safety has actually increased, because male privilege, basically, and not harassed as much of me. The street. Um, uh, economically, I, uh, my, my medical care has mostly been covered. Sometimes hormones have been really expensive and I've been in circumstances where I haven't been able 
to pay for them or I, I've had to make a choice or mm. what have you, which has sucked. Um, but, um, you know, I figured things out and things have been okay in general. Um, I, I recently was able to get a binder for free from a binder exchange, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Um, I, I guess I don't feel as negatively about my chest as other trans guys, and uh, I'm actually not binding right now. Because I, I don't enjoy it, but um, I, I enjoy having a, a flatter appearance, um, and I feel nervous about going out in public, not covered up. Um, you mentioned, uh, a few things. What are, you mentioned actually your, your parents had certain expectations of you. What were some, what was that? What did they expect from you? Um, my adopted family was just like, um, expecting me to sort of fit into their idea of what a girl should be. And mm. especially as I became a teenager, um, yes, there, there are these certain, Expectations that are particular to working class Italian American girls, where you're going to be interested in boys a little bit younger, want to wear makeup a little bit younger, things like that. And I wasn't really interested in that kind of stuff when I was in middle school so much, and it's considered really weird. And um, the, the kids in my school were actually really sexual when they were uh, around that age. Like kids would be running around talking about giving each other blowjobs and things like that. I didn't even know what a blowjob was. Um, I mean, it might have just been kids talking and not necessarily doing stuff, but, um, you know, it was considered weird that I wasn't interested in doing that kind of stuff. I wasn't interested in wearing makeup or being uh, a girl, basically, or wearing dresses and things like that. Um, they also had a lot of high expectations on me in terms of academics because um, I started reading when I was really young and I was always like this weird kid who was uh, like had a lot of knowledge about trivia mm. um, so there, there was a lot of academic pressure on me to be successful and also kind of stereotypical because um, uh, I, my, mom, my mom was Jewish, and I guess they sort of saw me as that stereotypical smart Jewish kid. Mm. Um, and when I wasn't performing as well in school, it was like, oh, you know, it's because of your background. And so, the, like, the stereotypes, like, seesawed back and forth. And it put a, um, a lot of pressure on me to be more that positive stereotype versus the negative one, I guess. Um, and they were also Catholics, and... They didn't necessarily go to church, but they expected me to be like a good Catholic kid. Mm. Um, and I didn't even know that my, I came from a Jewish background until I was older. And I was really upset about that. I felt like it was really um, fucked up. <laughs> um, they never even mentioned it to me. Mm. So, um, I guess... How do you feel right now in terms of like emotionally, mentally, physically? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm in a better place than I've been in the past. Um, I'm coming towards the end of like training at uh, 
access code for part of the we're we're in the job uh, search portion and they're giving us a lot of support in terms of looking for work. Which I, I never got when I was in college or in high school. You know, I guess the expectation my adoptive family always had there was that, you know, I I might go to college but I spent most of my adult life just like taking care of older members of the family and me having a husband and getting married and things like that, not necessarily having a job of my own. Mm-hmm. So I never really got that sort of business training, um, which really hampered me when I was looking for work. Um, after I got my associate's degree, I didn't really know how to go about looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been working jobs previous to that, but I was just like, for friends of the family, where you don't have to go in for an interview or um, worry so much about that kind of thing, like, like being a white collar, uh, having that kind of white collar job search experience. Um, so they're, they're providing that for me right now, and uh, I'm hopeful that it's going to help me in terms of getting better work and uh, being able to have a place up with, on my own and uh, be able to share, share it with my partners and, you know, maybe eventually be able to open up the community space. Um, that's always been a dream of mine to have a community space where people can come to and um, you know just like hang out because there really aren't any places in New York City where you can just hang out it's like the library <laughs> Starbucks <laughs> and Starbucks obviously is a public company mm-hmm. um, there, there aren't really a, a lot of community centers out there and it's just getting worse in terms of that you know, everything's going to be privatized. So I would really like to be able to open a space that would be really for the community and people to hang out and, you know, just enjoy themselves without having to pay money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I like art and I like games and I like to work on a game, I guess, on video game or things like that. Um, but, you know, just in general, I just like making things. <laughs> Um, it's always been really fun for me, and, uh, yeah, I, I think tech is actually a really good fit for me, because I have a lot of different skills that necessarily, haven't necessarily been expressed in things I've been doing previous to this. I like writing, I like drawing, I like, um, like figuring things out, like figuring out algorithms and things like that, and problem solving, so it, it's actually been a really good fit for me, and I'm pretty hopeful about the future, keeping my fingers crossed because I know that I'm not going to get anything unless I work for it. (laughs) Well, if you, um, if you were to be remembered for one thing, what would that thing be? (laughs) What would that thing be? What would you want it to be around? Um, oh God, I don't know. Sometimes I Google myself. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you find? (laughs) Um, I made a mural back in my senior year of high school. (laughs) Make some pitch, photographs on Wikipedia that I had taken. And that's another name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are a lot of pictures of me at protests <laughs> as well. Um, but. Or even, I guess, for future Marty. For future Marty. What would future Marty would be remembered for? Um, Well, I, I do hope to be an asset to 
the community, whatever community I'm part of, uh, because there are a lot of interlocking communities there, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I, I do worry a lot about the kids who are in the system right now, because, I mean, as horrible as what I went through growing up, it was also not as bad as what some kids experienced or are experiencing, or even what my little sister went through. Um, and it's difficult. You can get into a place where it feels like you don't have a future. That's how I felt for a long time. I couldn't really envision myself as being an adult. And, uh, and now I'm 33. And, um, you know, it, the whole system is fucked up, and it, there's not really any kind of reform you could do to it because it's just really racist and really classist. And, you know, I, I guess I would want other kids who've been experiencing that kind of violence and abuse and neglect in their lives to sort of be able to look to me and realize, you know, things can be bad, but they can also get not so bad. Uh, it's really hard to articulate, but... <laughs> I think they're yeah. doing a great job. Um, I don't know. I think I sound stupid right now. No, nah, not at all. Um, well, I mean, I guess, uh, so is there anything else that you would like to add? We have to go soon. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of anything right now. Okay. All right, well, thank you for, um, chatting with me today. Right. Um, yeah. Thank mm -hmm. you.